Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Our reading today is from the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. May God have a blessing through the reading of this word. we wrap up our What Does the Lord Require of You series today, we are exploring the final line of the prophet Micah's threefold mandate, which is for today to walk humbly with your God. So far, the prophet has told us that two things are required. The first is to do justice. Uh, the word there in the Hebrew is mishpat. And to love kindness, the word is has said. And these are two very outwardly focused, hands-on, practical requirements. Notice here that Micah, his emphasis is not on being kind or being just, but doing justice and kindness. They're very action-focused. Each of them connote the sense of maybe at the end of our day. We can ask ourselves, how did I do justice today? What specific acts of kindness did I practice today? But then we get to this third mandate, and um, it's, it's more complicated to walk humbly with God. And we wonder, how do we actually quantify or measure acts of humility? And what kind of contribution is humility going to make to the world? Humbleness and humility in our culture, they sound rather passive and soft, maybe even wallflowery. Doing justice, practicing kindness, these are things that you can do, you can list these things. Maybe you can even measure the outcomes or benefits of having done them, but humbleness? How do you, how do, you do humbleness? How do you measure it? And how exactly is that going to help the world? Sarah Adams is a professor of English at Olympia College in Washington State. And a while ago, she wrote a piece for NPR's 
interviews that are called This I Believe. Perhaps you've heard of those. And in her interview, Adams speaks of practicing humility with the pizza delivery guy. And she says, coolness to the pizza delivery dude is a practice in humility. She says, I, I, I let him cut me off in traffic. I, I let him safely hit the exit ramp from the far left-hand lane. I, I let him forget to put on his blinker without extending any of my fingers through the window. She says, I just let it go because after all, the pizza delivery dude is delivering pizzas to people, young and old and brown and black and white and gays and straights and vegetarians and meat lovers, right? And she says, as he journeys, I give safe passage. I practice restraint. I show courtesy. I contain my anger. And I'm like, that's beautiful, Sarah. Congratulations. I'm sure the Nobel Peace Prize is in the mail, right? I mean, is it just me or does it seem like the whole world right now is filled with egotistical, impolite, dangerous, and out-of-control pizza delivery dudes? right? Sorry, Matt. <laughs> and these pizza delivery dudes, they're just more than happy to, uh, to take a free pass from all of you humble saints who are humble saints who are just trying to let things go. This isn't what Micah has in mind when he speaks of humility. The Hebrew word here for humbly is the word sanah. The word sana appears only twice in all of Hebrew scripture. Just twice. Once here in Micah and once in the book of Proverbs. Where the, the writer of Proverbs says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But wisdom is with the humble. And so sana, according to that definition, is the opposite of pride. It's to show humility, to be modest or humble, lowly. But modesty and lowliness, they sound a lot like plain small. It sounds like just let things go and be submissive, be a wallflower in the world. That's not Micah's intent. Our English word for humility comes from the root word hummus, which means soil, compost, earth. Hummus is also the root word of the word human, which suggests that to be human is to have come from the earth, the dirt. And of course, the ancient creation poem in Genesis suggests that we are indeed of the earth. We have been taken by God from the earth and brought to consciousness in this human form that we all walk around in. And if you put it all together, what you get is this idea that humility and being humble is, is to remember daily that we come from dust, and to dust we will return. In fact, one of the most, uh, one of the most humbling prayers of our funeral liturgy says just that. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So over these five weeks, we've been talking about the fact that our faith informs how we live our social and political lives. 
And that as we approach what will and already is a hotly debated and polarizing election cycle, we remember that God requires of us to do justice, to practice kindness in our relationships with others, in our conversation, in our commitments to the common good. This is difficult work, which I think is made all the more difficult by this third piece of the mandate, to walk humbly with God. I think it's the hardest of the three requirements because doing justice and practicing kindness, these have a way of, we can think of in terms of finality. We can do them and be done with them for the day. The ancient Greeks had a word for that kind of activity. They called it telic activities. Telic is from the Greek word. It means purpose or end-oriented. And telic activities are things that we can finish, like mowing the lawn, like reading a book, like taking the dog for a walk, like bathing your cat. (laughs) Although with that last one, that might finish you before you finish it. And so when it comes to doing justice and practicing kindness, these things can feel like telic activities. We can do them and be done with them, in our minds at least. We can vote. We can feed the hungry downtown. We can tutor at-risk children at East Elementary. We can march for social justice. We can stock the shelves at a food pantry or visit the sick. These feel like telic activities. You show up, you do the work, and you go home and you're done. But while they may seem like telic activities, they really have this atelic nature to them. That is to say, atelic referring to this unending nature of things, the stuff that you can't ever finish. Let me explain. You can, you can finish reading a book, and you can close it up and you can put it down, and you might not ever pick up that book again. Why? Because you read it. I mean, congratulations, war and peace, Ulysses. Nobody ever finishes Ulysses, but, but, you know, you did it. Congratulations. Good for you. You're done. But you'll never, ever be able to feed 120 people downtown and then proudly brag to your friends that you just solved world hunger. You'll never be able to read a book to a child at East Elementary and then Tell your friends, I just, you know, I just solved uh, childhood illiteracy. You'll never be able to drop your ballot in the box and have it counted, and maybe your team or your cause or your candidate wins. You'll never then be able to announce to the whole world, uh, because I voted, thy kingdom come, thy will has been done on earth as it is in heaven, because There are some things in life that you can never, ever check off a list. Some work is never finished. In fact, most often, the most important work of our lives is never finished. It's atelic. We have to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. And yet in our polarized political environment, we tend to deceive ourselves into thinking that We alone can and must finish the work of God. And this leads to a form of idolatry. Idolatry that leads to this, often what we see in the world today, religious extremism. Not just far and away and abroad, but in our own country. The kind of extremism that justifies violence 
and hatred and hate speech and polarized relationships. Christian nationalism, the insurrection of January 6th, militia groups, gunmen firing on planned parenthood clinics, political campaigns that are infused with apocalyptic rhetoric. These things are dangerous and they're intolerable. When we see it today, we say, this is no time for humility. The house is on fire. And are we the hands and feet of God to put it out? We must do something. And Micah comes around and says, yes. Practice justice. Practice kindness. But then he adds this third thing. Walk humbly. And we say, can't we get another prophet who knows our situation and takes it more seriously? But I remind you that For Micah, when he wrote his oracle, the house of Judah was on fire. I mean, up was down and down was up. Nothing made sense. There were lies and greed and injustice in every human institution. And God, by the way, was really, really ticked off. And yet Micah still says, walk humbly. Because you're earthly creatures. With every step you take, remember that you are mortal, not divine. You are human, not God. You're dirt, hummus. Humility doesn't mean being a wallflower. It doesn't mean submissiveness. It doesn't mean surrendering our responsibility to the world. Instead, I want to say it just means two very important things for us in the context that we're in. The first is that humility and humbleness always reminds us to look up, remembering to look up. We're humans, we're of the earth, we're lowly, we're not God, we never will be God. And by the way, God never asked us to try to be God. The ancient songwriter of Psalms wrote, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. Did you know that you can trap bees on the bottom of a mason jar without a lid, without anything that would contain them, without honey or anything? You can just trap them and they'll never fly away because they never look up. Try it sometime. Um, You'll see that humans and bees are a lot alike in that way. They'll just walk around muttering and complaining to themselves and everyone else about their infuriatingly unfortunate mason jar situation. They're bumping and bouncing in glass walls, they're spinning around and buzzing around until they're exhausted. And if only they would look up, they might find a way out of their predicament, a way to the freedom that they and all of us long for. I lift my eyes to the hills, says the psalmist, because he knows he doesn't have all the answers that he could really use some wisdom that he doesn't have. He doesn't know everything there is to know in this moment, and so he seeks divine revelation, a word from God. Have you ever had one of those moments when the solution's right in front of you and you fail to see it? A true story. In 1944, after nearly a decade of world war, Japan was finally beginning to lose the war. 
their economy was floundering, their U.S. forces had, um, had, had been advancing for, for years, defeat seemed inevitable. And in December of 1944, 2nd Lieutenant Hiru Onoda of the Japanese Imperial Army was deployed to the small island of Lubang in the Philippines, and his orders were to fight and to never surrender. Three months later, U.S. soldiers arrived on Lubang and took the island by force. Most of the Japanese soldiers either went home or perished, but three did not. Onoda and two of his fellow soldiers remained in the jungle. And from there, they began this guerrilla warfare. It's a whole campaign on the U.S. soldiers, and they're attacking supply lines and uh, shooting at soldiers. That August... Uh, Half a year later, of course, the U.S. dropped the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And the deadliest war in human history was finally over. But thousands of Japanese soldiers were still scattered on all these little islands. And most of them, like Anoda, were hiding in jungles, completely unaware that the war was over. And so they continued to fight and to pillage. So the U.S. flew airplanes over those islands. They dropped leaflets saying, the war is over, you can go home. But Anoda thought this was a trap by the Americans. And so they kept hiding and kept fighting. Five years went by. Most of the American soldiers had gone home long ago. But Anoda and his men continued to fight, shooting at farmers and burning crops and stealing livestock. So the Philippine government flew airplanes over the islands, dropping more leaflets saying, war's over. But Anoda and his men ignored them. Ten years went by. The Philippine locals, tired of being terrorized, started fighting back. One of Anoda's soldiers was killed, another was surrendered, but Anoda remained in the jungles by himself, having spent nearly half of his entire life in the jungles. He was now alone. Thirty years later, still out in the jungles, This really crazy guy by the name of Norio Suzuki heard about Anoda. He was an adventurer, an explorer, a hippie, high school dropout, super crazy. And Norio Suzuki believed that he could do what nobody could do for 30 years, that he would find Anoda. Unarmed, untrained, he flew to Lubang. He wandered around the jungles by himself. He had this brilliant strategy He would just walk around the jungle shouting as loud as he could for Anoda and telling him that the emperor was really worried about him. Brilliant. Suzuki found Anoda in four days. And he asked him, why would you keep fighting? He said, because I was given the orders to never surrender. For nearly 30 years, Anoda fought a battle that had long been over. Sometimes you just have to look up. In his case, literally, to look at the leaflets coming down, telling you these are signs, but sometimes God is more subtle. We need to seek the wisdom of God in ways that only God knows how how to get to us. Humbleness means remembering to always look up, to seek God's wisdom. It's not expecting God to solve our problems. It's being open to solutions that God can give us. But humbleness also means one other important thing. It means remembering 
that you and I don't have all the time in the world to waste. We're humans. We're hummus. We will return to the earth someday. So what will we do with the time that we still have above the ground? What role will we play? What contribution will we make? The writer James says, you are missed. It's a mist that appears for just a little while, and then it vanishes. What will we do with the time we have between the mist and the clearing? In just two days on Tuesday, we celebrate All Saints Day as Christians, November 1st. It's the day of the year that all Christians remember those who have come before them, who have lived lives uh, of importance and just ordinariness. The saints with the big S, but also mostly the saints with the little S's, like you and me. And All Saints Day has a way of asking us, what are you going to do with your life? How will you be remembered? What's that line from the movie Fight Club? This is probably the only time you'll ever hear a line from Fight Club in church, (laughs) because there's only one line that you can repeat. But That line says, this is your life. And it's ending one minute at a time. That's harsh. And yet if you believed it, would you spend one more precious moment of your life engaged in Twitter warfare? Would you waste another minute posting angry political memes on Facebook or watching one more political screed on cable news? Or would you work on the things that are most important, the lasting things? I'll conclude with this. This spring, as many of you know, I took a group of young adults to Spain to walk the Camino de Santiago, an ancient pilgrimage trail. What we didn't expect, what I didn't expect, is that we would encounter so many of these amazing cathedrals, some that were more than a thousand years old, and all of which had amazing artwork depicting people, frescoes and statues and engravings everywhere around the altars and the ceilings, uh, even outside and in the rafters, people everywhere. What I discovered when I came back, I read about this. I discovered that when a cathedral was being constructed, all the artists would get together for a little meeting. They would decide what the church was going to commission, what story they were going to tell in their artwork. And then they would decide they needed specific subjects, people, to represent that story. And so after the meeting, they would go into the streets and talk to the local villagers. They'd get to know people, and every once in a while, they'd find the right person to portray in their story in the church. Imagine, after the cathedral being built, you walk into church one day, and you look at the ceiling, and you go, that's me up there. Or you look around the altar and you see your brother or your sister or your neighbor. You see people who are as if they're in the real biblical story. Imagine yourself years from now. Imagine yourself being in that story and somebody coming along and saying, yeah, I remember that person. They made a contribution. They were a part of the redemptive story of God. How would you want to be portrayed? 
And how would you live and act today knowing that someday others will see you and remember you? Our takeaways for today, act as if the work of God is never, ever finished. Always remember to look up and locate yourself in God's ongoing story of redemption. Out of dust, you got nothing much to lose. You're made of dust, you got a whole lot you can do. Come on, friends, keep looking up in this brief interlude. Cause we got what the world is looking for. We're the Gospel delivery dudes. When you're made of dust, you got no room for foolish pride. It's easy to keep on walking with others by your side. Don't get proud, don't get your shorts in the knot during this interlude because we got what the world's looking for. We're the good news delivery dudes. So keep on walking. Don't look behind. Don't spend too much time in the mirror. It just might change your mind. Keep looking up. Keep walking in this brief interlude. We got what the world is looking for. We're the good news delivery dudes. Exit on the left. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.